0: Chick Parsons needed sleep. He'd been hacking through jungles by day and island hopping by night for about four months. His mission in the Philippines assigned by General Douglas MacArthur was to contact soldiers who had taken to the hills when the Japanese army defeated the United States on Bataan and Corregidor in the spring of 1942. These scattered fighters, both American and Filipino, had been trying to organize themselves into a guerrilla force that would harass the occupiers throughout the 7,000-plus islands of the Philippine archipelago. They desperately needed medicine, weapons, ammunition, and radio gear, and on a clandestine mission in the spring of 1943, Parsons delivered it. More important, he offered an early sign that MacArthur would make good on the vow he'd issued after retreating from the Philippines. The general was still in his headquarters in Brisbane, Australia, 3,000 miles away. But to the unorganized and information-starved men in the jungle, the presence of his personal envoy whispered, I shall return. The effect upon the guerrillas, also upon the civilians, was miraculous. Parsons wrote in a letter to the Philippine president in exile, Manuel A. Quezon, it was touching to observe the gratitude of the men for the supplies. It showed them they were not abandoned, that their efforts were known to and appreciated by General MacArthur. It gave them new life. General Douglas MacArthur left the Philippines on March 11, 1942, when the armed forces of the Empire of Japan defeated a joint army of U.S. and Filipino soldiers. MacArthur returned to the Philippines on October 20, 1944, due to the efforts of those who believed him when he said, I will return. An amazing story, a true-to-life story coming to us from World War II. We have a more amazing story today as we talk about not only the first Advent, which we celebrated Christmas, but the second Advent, the return, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me share a couple of background thoughts, just helpful thoughts to help us understand what the scripture is talking about. First, the people of God in the Old Testament had a particular way of approaching him. Back in the day, the Lord lived with his people in a worship tent called the tabernacle. It literally was a tent. God occupied a room called the most holy place, separated by a thick curtain from an adjoining room called simply the holy place. Exodus 26, 33 says, hang the curtain from the clasps and place the ark of the testimony behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. So the Lord set some ground rules for approaching him. He said only the Jewish high priest would be allowed access to him in the most holy place and that but once a year. The high priest would be allowed access to that holy place but once a year. The highest priest would come into the most holy place with the blood from animal sacrifices. Living beings, living creatures had to die. The blood was an atonement for the sins of the people. The Jewish people today still celebrate Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16.15 says, He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. Once a year, just the high priest with blood. Even Aaron, when he was the high priest, was warned by God, get this, that he was not to enter the holy place any time he wished. Leviticus 16:1 and 2 says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place, behind the curtain, in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die, because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Ground rules from God about approaching him. One other thing that was part of Jewish history for people of the Old Covenant in the Old Testament. The people of God made use of a priest to represent them to God and sacrifice on their behalf. The people of Israel were to come to the priest with an offering for sin committed in the routine of day-to-day. And that priest would sacrifice it on the altar to atone or pay for their sin. Ongoing. It was there. One example, Leviticus 19, 21, and 22. The man, however, must bring a ram to the entrance into the tent of meeting for a guilt offering in the Lord. With the ram of the guilt offering, the priest is to make atonement for him before the Lord, for the sin he has committed, and his sin will be forgiven. One other thought, and then we'll jump into these seven verses. There are key words in the seven verses uh, that are in uh, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. It's interesting. In most translations, in particularly the NIV, you'll see two words, since, twice, and let us, three times. The writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, since God has blessed us, and he mentions two ways, therefore let us obey him as we await his return, three ways just FYI think about it as we go through look for those words since and let us okay look at verse 19 therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of jesus the old king james had it boldness not just confidence but it's it's a strong word nonetheless An amazing event happened when Christ died on Calvary's cross. The curtain barrier that we talked about between the most holy place and the holy place in the temple, just like it was in the tabernacle, was torn down the middle, almost like big hands that tore this thing down. Matthew 27:51 says at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom the earth shook and the rocks split The amplified has Hebrews 10:19 as by this new and living way which he initiated and opened for us through the veil as in the holy of holies that is through his flesh Jesus Christ died on the cross He died to open up the access that we can now have with God. Once a year? High priest? No. Welcome to the holy place, the most holy place. Pastor John MacArthur writes, When Jesus' flesh was torn at his crucifixion, so was the temple veil that symbolically separated men from God's presence. No more. Born-again believers can, with confidence, draw near to Almighty God. When you realize, I I, I have on my screensaver uh, a picture of Andromeda, the cluster of stars in the heavens surrounded by individual stars. It is truly amazing. Is that all of God? No, that's only the beginning. We can approach Almighty God because of what Christ did on Calvary. Sin was and is the problem of approaching God. Christians can now come because of Christ's righteousness and not their own. When we accept Christ as our personal Savior, as the old expression goes, we begin our spiritual journey, we are open to receiving his righteousness. So we come not with what we can boast about, not of works, lest we should boast, the scripture says. So Jesus inaugurated our free access to God through his blood, spilled on Calvary. Now the most holy place does indeed refer to the presence of God. Christians now have perpetual access to the presence of God. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, Hebrews 10.20 says. Interestingly, the book of Acts uses the expression, the way, both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. What way? This way. The way is now open. The mention in these verses is not that it's sealed and blocked. It's open. It's the way. And that's what we can claim as Christians. Just a thought. We should frequently take time to thank our Savior for our salvation and the access we have to God Himself. You ever do that? It's a wonderful thing to thank the Lord for what He has done. Okay, move on. Verse 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, our Saviour is our high priest now through his sin uh, through his death, rather, our sin has been paid for hebrews two seventeen and eighteen says or seventeen says, therefore, in all things he had to make like be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation." For the sins of the people. He is also a priest that sympathizes with us because he's been here. He's lived his life here on earth. Listen to Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. We should never fear coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, our high priest, no matter our sin or our failure. You know, stupidly, we continue to sin. We have patterns of sin, even as Christians. And we get so frustrated and guilt-ridden, and we don't want to even talk to God because we think he's just going to condemn us. Well, maybe we do enough of that ourselves. But the access is there. The high priest is willing to see us, to talk with us, to forgive us. Look down at 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This is the first of the three, let us or lettuce if you prefer, Christians are motivated to do three things, three things as we wait for the second advent. All since we can confidently enter God's presence and we have a great high priest. That's the basis upon which we rest. But there are three things that he wants us to do as we wait to prepare. The first thing the writer mentions is drawing near to God for every need we have. Well, the big stuff maybe, but, you know, maybe he's too busy and the little stuff I think I can handle. No, you can't. We need to draw near to him. We have the access now, but I never go. I I just don't have time. The story I'm fond of is someone who used to have a quiet time in the morning in his living room. And he would sit down and he'd spend time with the Lord. He'd draw near to the Lord and read his Bible and pray. On one particular day, he got very busy and he was running late for work. So he ran to the front door. And as he did, he looked to his right and he saw the living room and the Lord sitting there waiting for him. How true. But he's there for us. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Just spending time with him lowers your blood pressure. And here's something incredible. The incredible response to our drawing near to God is how the Lord responds. So how does he respond? James 4, 8a, come near to God and he will come near to you. Fantastic. If you do it, he's ever willing to receive you, to sit and talk with you, to help. What a wonderful God we have. But we must draw near with a sincere, a genuine heart. That's a heart transformed when we are saved. See, something happens when we're saved. The Holy Spirit begins working on us, conforming us to Christ, making us like him. Christ's work on our behalf gives us confidence that we will be welcomed into his presence. Listen to the prophet Jeremiah 24-7. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. All their heart. If you're not spending time with the Lord, you're missing something really good. Note the words, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. If you look back in the Old Testament, the priests were constantly washing physically. Constantly performing sacrifices so that their sin would be paid for. Clean inside and clean outside. Or better, clean in the conscience so that there's nothing that bothers us, but also clean outwardly in terms of how we're living our Christian lives. We need to be confessing our sin regularly, and we need to be watching our behavior, analyzing it. Even at end of day, what do we do? Boy, that's a tough time. If you're really honest with yourself, you realize how many mistakes you make during the day, displeasing the Lord. So we should willingly draw near to God in sincerity. He'll welcome us, being sure of His promises, and pure before Him. Verse twenty-three. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Christians are to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. That is, demonstrate their salvation by their perseverance. In ancient literature, the word unswervingly, I'm told, had a meaning of enduring torture. Interesting. Enduring torture. So we can persevere in our Christian life no matter the trial because he who promised is faithful, it says. You're not in this alone, Christian. Your Lord is there. So draw near to him. He's available to you. But also, hold on. We should hang tough in the trials and spiritual opposition we face in life because of our hope in him. We have hope not only now as Christians. God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, Paul says. But we have a hope of the future I don't know where I heard it, maybe as a sermon on the radio or something, but the preacher was talking about the fact that when a person dies, instantly he's in the presence of the Lord. And you're thinking, wow, all I can think of is the sorrow and harshness of death. And it is. But it's like the Lord's there to grab you, to love you, to welcome you. The same Lord that you drew near each day. Verses 24 and 25, interesting verses. More lettuce. 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I love that. I'm so grateful to Dick for suggesting this passage. I never thought of this before. I go to church to meet people, to maybe do some things, but consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Amazing. Start with the word consider. The word consider means to observe, to contemplate, to have an intelligent insight into. Three things. The word is used in one other place in the book of Hebrews. Always a good idea. See if you can find the same word and see what it says. Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling... Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Fix your thoughts. Consider, observe, contemplate, have an intelligent insight into. Are we looking around at our brothers and sisters in Christ here at CBC? Do we just limit ourselves to just a handful of people? Well, I know them. Find out how they did this week. Our consideration of others should lead us to, as the verse says, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Spur one another on. I looked at two modern translations just to better understand. The New Century Version has verse 24. Let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. Good. The voice, same verse. Let us consider how to inspire each other to greater love and to righteous deeds. Both good. The New King James Study Bible says love and good works need to be stirred up, they do not just occur. In this context, the Greek word speaks forcefully of the tremendous impact believers can have. On each other. Do you know you can have an impact on the rest of us? Well, not me. I don't do anything. You are doing something. You can do something. We should think about the potential of believers so we can motivate or inspire them to love others and complete good deeds. I remember years ago Forgive a personal illustration, but we were in a business meeting, and Peg Dunkerton, who is now with the Lord, uh, Peg and Ned used to be part of the congregation, and uh, uh, two very sweet people, and Peg Dunkerton said, you know, I think we need someone for the youth group. How about you, Steve? Okay. Okay and several trays of ziti made by my wife later. Um, We were with the youth group, not trying to be facetious, but she saw someone who might do the job, and she encouraged me to do it. There are opportunities to encourage people to love more, to get to know someone so that they do love more. We should think about the potential of believers so we can motivate or inspire them to love others and complete good deeds. Pretty cool. Last verse, 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Why bring this up at this point? It seemed like we had the three, let us, let us, let us, and now, let us not give a meeting together. Now, Christians in the New Testament typically gathered for worship in the house of a wealthy patron, someone who had a big home and could afford and have the space for a group of people. And they shared the same things we do, uh, a remembrance communion, they exercised their gifts, they sang, they prayed, and they instructed each other. It appears, now remember, this book is written to Messianic Christians, Jewish Christians. Appears that some of these Jewish Christians may have stopped attending service. Why? Persecution was rearing its ugly head. So I don't know if I really want to go there because someone's going to see me there and I'm going to get persecuted. Perhaps. Scholars are not sure, but they think that may be part of it. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And get the next statement. Let us encourage one another. Sometimes that's translated exhorting one another. Old-fashioned word, but similar. New King James Study Bible, exhorting means coming alongside and inspiring another with the truth. One more time. Exhorting means coming alongside and inspiring another with the truth. Where the word of God is applied to the circumstances of our life. You ever done that? Have you ever texted a scripture passage to someone? Oh boy, he's having such a hard time. Oh, that verse... That may help him. There you go. Let us encourage one another. Let us exhort one another. Pastor MacArthur adds, Exhortation takes the form of encouragement, comfort, warning, or strengthening. I like that too. Earlier on in the book of Hebrews... It says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Do you realize that you guys are the fail-safe for one another so that you don't get hardened by sin? The writer calls us to apply God's word as a remedy Encouragement or comfort for other believers in various circumstances. I know a person who is a Christian but does not believe in going to church. He basically feels he does fine on his own. And he's taught a small group. He's done things of that nature. Not condemning him but he's missing out on a resource. The input we're getting from each other. Where each one can apply encouragement, comfort, remedy, warning to each other. Because we don't always talk about the football games today. We don't always talk about the dinner and what we're gonna prepare for it. We don't always talk about problems with our company we are here and I think Dick has mentioned this as well spending some time to interact to encourage the last part of the verse talks about the second advent and that second advent was top of mind for these early believers the word translated day here And it's capitalized in the NIV. is also used in 1 Corinthians 3.13. And from the New English translation, it says, Each builder's work will be plainly seen, for the day will make it clear. The day will make it clear. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what kind of work each has done. I don't mean to end with a scary thing. (laughs) However... Once a year in many companies, you have your review. And we're real excited about those reviews, aren't we? Our company had a 360. I don't know if you know what that is, but that's passing around um, questionnaires to people who you've selected as well as management so they can rate you and how they see you. So you get double, triple, or more whammy Uh, At that time, perhaps. When I found myself in the army years ago, not by my choice, um, I found that they didn't let me sleep late. (laughs) I had to get up. I had to do things. Exercise. Wow. There were things I had to do. I had to do we are Christians. We accept Jesus Christ as Savior. We think we bought our ticket for heaven and many of us go I'm on cruise control the rest of the time. No, 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 no. There will be a review. The day is coming. We can't wait for the Lord to come back to right the wrongs that are here to put us together with our families. but there'll also be a review. So part of what we do in providing input to each other, help, remedy, comfort, warning, is to help everyone be ready for the review when the day comes. So we should make it a practice to share the word with believers, to help and encourage them and prepare them for the Lord's return. At CBC, we often end a a talk like this with a challenge. So what has the writer of the book of Hebrews been telling Christian believers in this passage this morning? Well, first, the blessings. The way into God's presence has been opened by the tearing of the flesh and death of the Lord Jesus Christ, basically dividing the curtain in two. Our Savior is now our understanding and sympathetic high priest, He is a great high priest over the house of God, the writer to the Hebrews says. Second, the motivation the three let us. Christian believers are to draw near to God with a pure conscience and life. They are to hold unswervingly to our hope because He is faithful, He won't let you drown. And spur other believers on to love and good works as we encourage and exhort them with the word. That's a pretty long to-do list. But it's something we need to be focused on. What a blessing for us as a Christian. But there's the other side of the coin. Someone is here and may be thinking, but I'm not sure I believe in sin or even God for that matter. Sin clearly is a debilitating and deadly spiritual cancer. It is like a piece of candy. Stolen waters are sweet, the Proverbs say. But there's poison in the candy. And a very real God has sent his son to die on the cross to reverse the effect of sin in your life and give you a glorious future. Because he cares. Just let us go. Let us kill ourselves. Let us ruin ourselves. But he's not that way. You cannot approach God if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ without him. You cannot get through life without Christ as your caring and sympathetic high priest because we will depend on him as Christians. The message to you who are questioning whether or not sin is real or God is real is God does indeed love you and wants to be your Savior and Lord. So what do I do? When we pray, repent of your sin. That's turn away from it. Turn around. Believe Christ died for you personally, personal salvation, because he knows who you are. Begin your spiritual journey right now. That's the beauty of it. So, if you're a Christian, we've got our marching orders. If you're not a Christian, take this seriously. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Oh, I'll just wait. Maybe this afternoon. Maybe tonight. at the, Oh, yeah, at the, uh, uh, the Christmas program. That'll be, I'll do it then. No, you won't. Because Satan will snatch the thought out of your mind and you'll just, it's not going to happen. So think seriously this morning as we close in prayer.